HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month with an episode about memory. I've always read and sort of approached cookbooks for more than the recipes. To me, they are full of narrative content and narrative value. So Malama Aina basically means to take care of the land. For us as Hawaiians, it's taking care of our older sibling. But I do remember like definitely feeling like self-conscious about it, like being the only one who kind of wasn't eating a sandwich and like didn't have a bag of goldfish or Lunchables. Listen to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, me, Zara Tangora. And me, Bobby Comforto. Hi, Bobby. How are you? I'm good. I feel really excited by the show today. I do too. So we have had a a series of guests now. Uh, It all began with our wonderful guest, Danielle Jaffe, and then Beth Robbins, and now Beth's sons, Ari and Noah Meyerowitz, who are incredible brothers and uh, entrepreneurs, and they're running a business that their father, Steve, had started. And after his death, they continued his amazing Sprout business. And it was such a beautiful conversation about such a myriad of different things from grief to Sprouts to, you know, it was just, it was really textured and really interesting. And they're so lovely. What lovely like kind people they're very beautiful and with just such an an inner wisdom that you know i'm sure it came from many different places but i'm sure that the tragedy in their life has has impacted and added layers of wisdom for them yeah they were really it was really a beautiful talk and you know every talk is so different and i i love the opportunity uh in this conversation that we got to speak with beth and then hear the you know the alternate perspective of a loss within the same family from the children. It's it's very different, you know. Of course, the loss of a spouse and the loss of a parent is uh, they're both extremely painful, um, but but very different. And they were just articulated their experiences so honestly and beautifully. It was really a nice talk. It was really really great. So I'm excited for everyone to hear that. And um, on a personal note, just how are how are you? What's going on with you? You doing good? Are you talking about me? I thought you were yeah. talking about the audience. <laughs> I was waiting to hear the audience answer. Yes, I was audience. really actually. I'm really doing fine. I was actually thinking about the audience as you said that, and um, and just wanting to reach out and say that how how important it is f- um, for us to have people that are brave enough to talk about their story on air. And mm. I hope if anybody's inspired in in any way to to reach out to us and let us know your story and consider either you know, writing a letter that we might read or um, being brave enough as all our guests are to come onto the show. We just, every time we meet new people on the show, every time we um, hear their stories and hear their hearts, we're just so deeply inspired and it, it makes us want to just do more and more. So um, I'm fine. I'm feeling kind of really a little high in a way because I feel like that was such a beautiful, beautiful episode. And yeah. I feel so proud of all of us for doing it. Yeah, totally. And so if you do want to share your story, you can reach out to us at 
processing at heritageradionetwork.org. And, or you can hit us up on Instagram at processing underscore podcast and send us a message. And uh, yeah, it would be, it would be wonderful to hear from you guys if you want to share your story. And I think there's a catharsis in sharing personally. And then also like it is, uh, you know, our, our goal in starting this podcast and creating community and around talking about grief is to, it's not that it will ever take the pain away, right? Like knowing that someone else has gone through a, a traumatic experience or had a grief experience, it doesn't take the pain away ever. Nothing really necessarily will, but it helps, I think, to understand something that we are not unfortunately taught in school or isn't really enforced in in many of our homes and societally, which is that like grieving happens, grief happens, loss happens, trauma happens. Part of our like, human condition, yeah. Right. And so I think like with really anything else, community is very important because it, 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 uh, it gives a support system and support is like kind of at the end of the day, like all we can have sometimes, you know what I mean? Um, and it's a little, hopefully it's a little bit of peace and a little bit of respite. So if you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you and that would be wonderful. And, um, if you wouldn't mind doing a little, uh, rate, review, subscribe, that really helps the show reach other people and help expand this grief community even more, which is, which is great. So if you don't mind, take a moment and we'd, we'd really appreciate that. And we hope that you guys all are doing okay out there. You know, I mean, and also don't forget that we are in a really transitional phase in a year of, uh, global grieving and trauma that's happened as a result of the COVID crisis. And at now, as we, you know, see the springtime coinciding with a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel happening, that's another kind of difficult, uh, you know, growing pains. We're going to like have to relearn how to kind of go back into society. And so if you are feeling strange or you're feeling tense or you're feeling confused, you know, part of it is just the reality of what's happened over the past year setting in and there's a whole new set of challenges and and things coming up so be kind to yourselves and each other about that and you know it will move and shift as we talk about in this episode about yes we do pain moving and shifting and taking on different shapes so thank you to aria noah what an amazing hour we got to spend with you guys we could have talked with you all afternoon and uh, please check out, we're going to link to their business and please check out their sprout business and order sprouts from them. I know that we, you and I definitely are going to, I can't wait to start growing my sprouts and nibbling on sprouts. Sprouts are healthy <laughs> and they're delicious yes. and they're cute. <laughs> they are very cute. So um, thanks guys and enjoy, enjoy the rest of your week and we love you. Bye. Bye mom. Bye. Brothers Ari and Noah Meyerowitz. Um, Ari and Noah are the sons of Beth Robbins, who was a former guest on our show. And we love talking with your mom so much. God, Bobby and I talked about our talk with Beth for weeks afterwards. And lucky enough that your mom hooked us up so we can kind of get your perspective from a really compelling and sad and interesting and uh, complex story about the loss of your father. So welcome, guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. It was really looking forward to this. Yeah. Yeah. So where are you joining us from today? So we're in Great Barrington, Mass. We're also in the Berkshires, just like our mom. Amazing. Yeah, we're actually in the same, we're in, we, we wanted a quieter location, so we left our office, which had a lot going on, we're in her office in the same, so we're surrounded by books, and it has this very, um, I think, you know, it feels, it feels good to continue this really discussion awesome. in a way, and yeah. in the same place. <laughs> cool, it's a very, it's very cool, we've not done this before, where we've spoken to you know, one member of the family and then heard the perspective from the other side. And I think it's really interesting because 
you know, people experience, I mean, I'm sure the two, as we'll come to find out, the two of you, I'm sure, experienced, you know, the loss of your father in different ways. But then also the way that a parent experiences the loss of their partner and then children experiencing the loss of their parent is so different. And it's really interesting to be able to kind of get both sides of the story from the people in the same family. Well, we have to make it first to get our story straight, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I lost my dad too in a, in a much different way. I lost my dad to cancer. My mom and Bobby and my dad were not married, but um I lost my dad too and uh it's it's really tough and I know from my own perspective it's just something that you you know, you never get over. You learn to adapt it into your life and find ways to kind of continue the bonds and I think you know, from what we know of you guys through your mom, um, the way you guys have done that has been really interesting. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, how you've continued the relationship with your dad in a business sense after his passing? Well, one really interesting thing that I, I was thinking about in the last couple of days after we, or last last day after we were looking at that um, preparation sheet for you, giving a little bit of backstory, I was thinking about the way that Ari and I each experienced the loss, and it was very different because um, I sort of, I feel as though I put my grieving on hold for a little while, whereas Ari dove headfirst into it after the accident. I was in high school. Um, I took a few weeks off, went right back. And I mean, I think this is just to the core of our personalities, how we experience things. Ari goes head first and I sort of tiptoe in. Um, mm. But it it has been an interesting process because we're certainly not in parallel. Well, yeah. Noah's got an incredible ability to deal with logistics in extremely stressful situations. And so, um, you know, we had, we, we sat Shiva and we, we had people come and, and this sort of the house was this, this rotation of people. I mean, it, it, everything was a surprise. It was like car accident is like, it's, it's immediate and overwhelming yeah. and then and totally unexpected and noah um noah started taking care of uh details like he was he was like making sure you know someone was bringing food and ended up in the right place or the right, you know he was organizing and and yeah like he said so it and whereas you know that's just that's that's like the personality thing and, and even in stressful things with a business when 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 things are going um like we had a really stressful period a couple months ago. Like supply chains were a mess. Everything was was, mm. was wacky, and and we dealt with it and we worked through it. And now everything's going smoothly. And like uh, two weeks ago, Noah was just like this this like overflowing carbonated you know uh, <laughs> bottle of, of of stress. And I'm like, why? Everything's going well now. We've solved the problems. He's like, well, maybe I'm just feeling it today. Totally. <laughs> It's the aftershock, right? The aftershock yeah, of stress. It's, it's really true. How old were you both when your dad yeah. passed? So I was. How old? How I old was were you 25, both? Twenty-five. I was sixteen. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and mm. so just to remind mm. our listeners um, or anyone who might not have listened to the episode featuring your mom, uh, can you know? Can you just tell us a little bit about your dad and what he, yeah. what his business was, and then you know the the circumstances surrounding his passing. Yeah, well, so so he was known as the Sprout Man, kind of dubbed Sprout Man in the '70s after he was. It was an interview, um, and, and the magazine came to his apartment. It was filled with sprouts. He was teaching about sprouts. His whole thing was was um, uh, healthy living, growing organic vegetables. But he was living in an Upper West Side, um, like one bedroom apartment. And so the uh, um, how do you have an organic garden? in the city and and so like these sprouts are just baby vegetables but you can grow them in in a week and and so it, this this whole um transformation the vegetables are good it's just like logic like we all know vegetables are good for you yeah. and he started like, teaching that sprouts are baby vegetables and they're super nutrient dense so you can actually that whole like hippocrates like food be thy medicine like that that when you're growing sprouts because they're i used to hear him um, at trade shows, say, compare, this was my favorite thing because I love radish sprouts. He would say, um, a full-grown radish has eight international units I use of, of vitamin A, where um, 
a, a sprout has 189. And wow. I was like, that's kind of across wow. the board with sprouts. And then of course, juicing and he led juice fasts. And so he wrote books, he was a teacher. Yeah. And so that was his, it was very charismatic before he was the sprout man. He was, um, he did he had an off Broadway, like a vaudevillian act that he like, he would love Jimmy Durante and oh, the Marx cool. Brothers. And so like he had like a Jimmy Durante schnoz, like a fake nose that he put on. <laughs> and he did the, like he had all these characters and, and there was awesome. this transformation going on in his life and sprout man became one of those characters initially while he was trying to straddle both worlds. And then like eventually the vaudeville kind of left behind, but it was always like a vaudevillian inspiration for sprout man. Like he had, he had a costume, he had a sprout hat and sprout shirts. And I love and it, was, that. it was like a superhero. He was like a superhero. <laughs> and he traveled, the, he traveled and lectured and went on book tours. And he, so he, he published all his own books. He formed Sproutman publications and put himself on these book tours. And they got trans, his books were translated into what, like 14 or 15 exactly. languages. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, I mean, that oh. was, he wrote nine of them. Um, Amazing. He, yeah, he was a really he was a incredible person. That he was yeah. like he was. I I just remember him always thinking how he could pretty much do anything mm. <laughs> growing up, and um, and and he really did a lot of things. And he was just such a special, gentle, loving person. Um, and I was just yeah. speaking about that with my uncle or our uncle, his brother the other day. And we were talking about, um, I, I had been watching some of my uncle's lecture videos. He's an artist and he, he's given some talks. And we were talking then about our dad's lectures. And he said, I remember seeing this one video where this one guy just kept asking him question after question. And he said, and if I were your dad, I would have said, listen, enough already. Would you, would you just be quiet? <laughs> and he said, he did. And he just kept smiling at this guy and listening patiently. They said that was just him, wasn't it? There was so a sweet. like selfless, and then also there was this resounding theme and shiva when everyone came through, and like um, everyone when they said it was smile, like everyone they all they said is every time I saw him, like he was always smiling, like you see him or you'd leave with a smile. It was like this interaction. Some, wow, what an energy! It was, a, it, was it was an exceptional energy. It was. Yeah. It was a, um, yeah, I mean, he was a really special guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm just struck by something, which is that, you know, uh, your so your father ultimately passed in a car accident, correct? Which is so sudden mm -hmm. and such like a a difficult thing to I think wrap. I would imagine your head around, especially at a younger age, and you know, memorializing someone and using the term was like our father was this, and I have to use the same kind of language around my father like how did it feel to transition have you thought about that all like to transition to speaking about someone in the present into the past tense like it's such a it's wow. such a strange thing I think for me at least it was but it's incredibly strange and and something I think it's every time it, it becomes a, a, like a distinct choice to to use present or past I mm. mean when I'm on the phone when we're at work and I'm talking about the work I often use present because the work continues and it's like, so I'm, I try mm. to be very deliberate with the tenses. Um, but it's, it's, it's a really, it's an interesting thing. Cause I mean, words matter. They like, yeah. they create this and, and, um, and then also that conversation about memorializing like Noah and I in choosing to continue this work, um, the work was really a one-man band, like kind of taking this crusade and rolling, and we, we we were turning it into our business. And this idea is like, do we become? Initially, he had lectures scheduled and shows scheduled, and we we just sort of jumped into the driver's seat and showed up and like mm. little Noah sixteen, me twenty-five, like we, wow. we, we go <laughs> and sort of like. I don't fumble, fumble our way through speaking slots book for the guy with 40 years of like lecturing and, and teaching. And, and here we are like sharing the space. Truly like stepping yeah. in his shoes, right? Uh, step, you stepped right into his shoes and, and, on and stage. It, and I, I literally did for a couple of those. Things. Really? You wore his <laughs> shoes? I really did. Yeah. And uh, <gasps> I, I stopped that shortly 
after for two reasons. One was that my feet grew larger than his. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I moved into a different stage where I realized, wow, yeah, I can't wear his shoes. That's not what this is about. But you needed to do that in the beginning. You know, they they call that like continuing Mm -hmm. bonds and that need to, it's not possible that a person can just be gone. You have to find ways to create a bridge Mm -hmm. or a link from from the worlds you know it just doesn't make sense just like you're saying are about tenses you yeah know, past tense you know i'm interested something that i thought a lot about today before we chatted um was that i think there's the societal kind of like a trope of um well you're the man of the house now you know if your father leaves or passes away and i'm interested to know how that felt and also you guys had a a decent amount of years between you. So you're experiencing this in really different times in your life. Um, you know, Noah, you're, you were 15 years old, right? 16, 16 years old. I'm sorry. Um, and you know, I'm just curious to know like how, how you guys individually each processed that, uh, you know, the pressures of having to step up and, you know, literally and metaphorically, wear your father's shoes and and what does that mean and how is that how is that a re, how is that a reality for you guys kind of stepping into that position yeah well so um our uncle our our, our dad was the youngest of, of, of three right so mm. he yeah and um quite a quite an age gap too and so the the oldest brother um was here so we're um or the middle one was the one Noah was chatting with, but the oldest one was, was, was walking. He, he sort of, he put his hand on my shoulder and walks me out, out to the backyard and points up to the roof. And he said, you see that? He said, you're the man of the house now. And every time it rains, you're going to start to think about, should I clean the gutters? Um, and, and of course, and I, and I walked away feeling like, Oh shit. And sorry. <laughs> like, no. um, and then there were there were there were gutter covers. Our dad put gutter covers on, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. But um, this, it was such a um, you know Noah and, Noah and our mom uh, went back to school, mm-hmm. and I found myself sitting in his in, in, in his desk, um, and the you know he had one employee come in a couple times a week, and you know and she'd hand me the phone when people would ask questions, and, and there was this 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 like continuation. Um, and what it felt like to me is that we were, and we also have an older sister, so mm. she's two and a half years older than me and 11 years older than Noah. And um, the, so there was this, we, as a family unit, like we were, we were very, very in balance in a way. We had all our quirks and, 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 and everything. But we, what happened was one of the, one of the pillars, sort of, we were like, if we're spinning, we're kind of this rotating top. Um, one of the two main stable points uh, was just sort of yanked out and removed. And so we had this recalibration where we're like, you know, kind of oscillating and moving. And, mm. um, and so, you know, Noah, 16, he got his learner's permit, started driving. And like then, so we, we all had trauma around driving and cars. And so Noah, like every 16 year old liked to drive fast, but also was like, had this like, like this split with the, uh, um, with the accident and so there was like terror there so you drive fast and then immediately freak you know have like fear and then mm-hmm. i and then i as the older brother had to take on the, the that role of like you need to slow down there's time mm-hmm. so i had to lead like, by example even though i always drove fast and, and yeah so i completely <laughs> changed i'm like okay i have to lead by example i made a very conscious decision to stop mm-hmm. to do everything that i um wouldn't want uh noah to do yeah um, to live that and and there was this, you know, our mom had this routine. She would drive to work and call her dad on her way to work. And so the phone rang every day for me, uh, you know, for, with her mom. And it was like, mm. and, and there was this recalibration that we all went through. And um, and then everything would sort of, um, it was sort of, the dust would settle. Everyone would be at work and I'm sitting there at the desk. And there was that, yeah, that, there was a lot of, I felt a lot of external pressure for that, that, um, that piece. And, and so I did a lot of, um, searching and I think had there not been such a, an age gap, Noah's tendency is to, to sort of take on responsibility and do like that initial, 
you know, organizing the people coming uh, for Shiva, even like that sort of that that desire to to organize. And I think had there not been such an age gap where I can say, look, I got it, yeah. um, then like there would have been, um, I think that role would have, it, it would have stopped Noah from, from being able to be young. And I think, you know, cause he's still 16. You got to totally. now he's running a business, mm -hmm. but he's still 16. He's in high school. And, yeah. and so there's, there's like, yeah, it was, I mean, my instinct always was to, take charge even when our dad was alive okay and so i mean that didn't change so much after his death it just reinforced that mm. um the other interesting thing that i'm remembering is the mixed uh the mixed kind of words of wisdom that that i got after asking people and very few people know what to say and of course it's there's really so never hard. <laughs> never the right thing to say, but I think there are wrong things to say. But yeah. one of the interesting, <laughs> absolutely, one of the things I thought about was a couple people, especially people I went to school with, said, "Oh, you know, well, uh, you know, just stay strong, you'll get through it." And I, and I thought about that right in the moment. I thought, you know, I don't really want to be strong. That's not mm. that's not helpful to me because um, all my instincts are to, you know, like put my shell up and just keep charging forward anyway. And what I need to do is actually be soft and weak mm. and <laughs> process this because Underbelly. Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. a human experience and, um, and it's not something that should be muscled through. Yeah. Um, so I remember wrestling with that, but that's funny wrestling with not being strong. No, I mean, <laughs> I think it's a, that's a wonderful point. Right. And I think that it speaks to, the concept a that you know uh the typical quote masculine response to pain should be to m muscle through it right not and not to cry and you know all this and uh, fortunately we're moving away from that societally but it still exists and also you know being a death denying culture we don't really educate children or anyone adults to know how to react in these situations so but I wonder if stay strong like while it is the wrong thing to say and I love your response that like no I need to be soft and weak and in my you know what I mean but is is stay strong something that people just you know it's obviously such a generic response but is right. it meant I feel like it's almost meant to mean something else like just stay a lot like stay alive or like keep going you know what i mean but yet people are not gonna like especially a classmate in in yeah. high school isn't gonna be like keep keep going like you know stay alive but i i think it's don't fall up i think it's don't fall apart i think really right. the, the stay but strong also, it's don't so fall interesting. Apart why now. not fall apart but what i what i hear you saying is that yeah yeah well, that's what no we need saying. to fall apart that's exactly what he's saying that he knows that we have to fall apart so we can put ourselves right. back together yeah here. absolutely so were there any other things you remember, Noah, at that age, you know, hearing from either teachers or friends or family? What else did you hear? That's interesting. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I did get a lot of, thankfully, I got a lot of conflicting advice. So, <laughs> you know, the stay strong was balanced okay. by the people encouraging me to just experience and be and feel as much as I can. Um, some of the better advice that I got was to just take one step at a time um, and to really zoom in because my as a like a manager personality and a planner personality my instinct is always you know lift way up look down months and years and whatever ahead mm. um, and in the throes of grief that's not possible really it's overwhelming absolutely and interestingly um, you know, five years now, five and a half years into the process. Um, yeah, I can, I can look a couple of years out, but even still, it's like, it, I really do have to focus in on immediately what's in front. So yeah, that was some of the better advice I got was just to think, okay, what do I have to do right now? You know, I'm waking up, I'm going to walk to the bathroom and then mm -hmm. I'm going to brush my teeth. And then I'll walk exactly. upstairs exactly. and then I'll have some breakfast, you know, and that's each one of those things on its own is manageable. But if I look at it, it's perfectly, yeah, said. Really yeah. 
grapple with I call it, I, yeah, I say that in any emergency, you know, any trauma or emergency, we, we have to stay in the moment, just moment to moment to moment. And I call it the full plate theory. You know, your plate is so full in an emergency. And so how can you put the future, which we don't know is going to happen anyway, that's what you were saying, and also the past. You know, as much as we need time to have memories and go over the past, sometimes it's too much right. to even handle that. So just that full plate of what's happening right in the moment and that concept in mindfulness of just going moment to moment, breath to breath. And like you say, sometimes all you can think of, okay, I'll put one foot in front of the other, right. then the other foot. Um, you're both so, you both have really? such wisdom. Uh, you know, you're talking about a lot of things that I talk about with, with countless clients about loss. Um, Ari, when you were talking before about the reconfiguration and the recalibration, um, John Bradshaw, who was a famous psychologist, used to do some stuff on PBS. He was a family therapist, and he talked about the family as a mobile, and that's exactly what you were saying. So you say, with a mobile, you know, we're all so disparate in a family, but somehow we find this balance, right? Everything is just kind of fit, and when you yank, and you use the perfect word, you just yank out one of the pieces of the mobile, what happens? It just goes completely haywire, but, you know, an, an artist can take those pieces, and life takes those pieces, and they get put into mm. different places That's beautiful. so you're both bringing up such important aspects you both have such a good way of, of viewing this loss what were some of the hardest things that you went through with your dad's death uh, I mean, well i never it took me it took me weeks to actually process the reality that he mm. was not physically alive and that he wasn't going to walk into the house again and then he wasn't you know yeah. and so then we had an opportunity to see his body in an open, um, in his, in the casket. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, so after seeing that, then I could point my mind when I'd have the thoughts that, Oh, he, he's alive. He's, this is all a bad dream. And I could point my mind and say, well, you know, it did really happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, mm -hmm. Well, I would say, yeah. I, I'd say so I that, watched, that was very challenging. I watched yeah. you grapple with, and I'm, I'm trying to think of what, what the hardest thing for me with, was, but I remember, Noah, you talking over and over again about the sort of butterfly effect, um, because there, he was yeah. driving home from this, from this um, meeting, and Noah was going to, so our, our dad was a pilot. Oh, and, the, yeah. And yeah, he, yeah. Was going to, he was going to fly down a couple days earlier mm. with Noah, and then... Oh yeah, and so it's like dissecting every every moment leading up to this, yeah. Um, and and then you know dissecting the day of and thinking, mm -hmm. okay, well, on his way back from this meeting, he went to Whole Foods. What if one more person had been in line? Yeah, I know. <laughs> then the whole timeline had been shifted, and that was such a challenging thing to reconcile because the reality is, um, it happened. It happened, and. Yeah. For whatever reason, it's that's how it was going to happen, one way or another. It seems, right? And so, I mean, so another person would have been in line at Whole Foods, but then would the have other driver had stopped at a red light, and would it still, you know, like I, I quickly learned that that sort mm. of thinking wasn't really supportive, but that's still, I mean, that's how my brain was working. It was trying to rationalize. Yeah. Of course. The, process it it's it's all it's the what ifs you know grief is really about accepting the reality mm -hmm. of the loss you know over and over and over and it you know it could be a year it could be two years five years later you can say i can't believe this happened and we really work on accepting the reality and i think all the pain that we get is just that hit of reality that it's really true it's really true but what you were doing is with the what ifs like what if it wasn't and that giant no inside you know I don't want this to be true. What if one right. moment? Well, that's the thing about a traumatic people accident. People do that, whether it's a physical but illness. That's the thing that about a traumatic accident yes. that's what? different than, like, you know, for instance, cancer. Because yeah. it's not like, oh, well, what if, you know, the, the whole, what, how, how you're describing the butterfly effect thing and the chain of events that led up that are so precise. And so I remember in high school, we had a friend of ours die. Uh, he was 16 and they were on the little cross field and somebody took it. He was the goalie and somebody took a shot and it hit him in the chest at the one split second that that could happen. And his heart stopped and he died and he was 16 on the field. And I remember even as a 16 year old trying to understand, it, I still think about it sometimes thinking about if I was his parent or family or like 
or sibling, like those little things that have to just add up to that, to an accident happening. It's very hard to wrap your brain around, you know, Mm -hmm. that and then accept it because it's like, as, as opposed to, you know, a terminal illness or something, you just want to go back and change that one little thing. I can imagine that that's a life, lifelong struggle to find acceptance surrounding that, you know? So you guys, um, took your father's amazing business and after his passing and you've grown it and made it your own. And I think that's so interesting. Can you talk to us a bit about, about life in the sprout business and how that helps you maybe like process your grief and deal and continue a bond with your dad? Well, so that actually, I think we, we each have very different experiences with this and because we, we had different experiences going into it too, but I think, so we're talking about the most difficult piece and then the taking over for me that sitting uh, I, I, I like to say I turned my life inside out like I dropped everything that I had been doing and yeah right and did this and for me not um like familial pressure internal pressure external pressure um the way the business was who it was you and that for me I think was the most difficult piece was not losing myself we, we have a mm-hmm. Um, a really dear friend who actually just sort of um, moved in with us for for a very long time. Mm. She was a, like a month or, or, and then came back and checked in every couple of weeks. And she's a master's in Chinese. Oh, oh she was on the, uh, Dan- Danielle. Yes, um, Danielle, of course. We love oh, her. We love Danielle. Yes, we love yeah. Danielle too. Yeah, sorry, oh, on the podcast. What a like, big, yeah, beautiful yeah. family. So she, yeah. She, she like, she's always been such, like such a dear family friend, but she just, I mean, you talk about stepping up and, and, and she showed up and she walked, she walked with us that day that mm. we saw our dad's body. Like she came with us. And she, I remember sitting, sitting in our living room, talking with her. And she said, she said, the shock of the death um, was just as shocking to your father as it is to you. Mm. And he didn't actually realize mm. that his work is, that, that he's no longer living and his work needs to continue. His tendency is to continue working. And she said, and your vulnerability is leaving you as a perfect vessel to inhabit this continued work. He doesn't want to take you over and he doesn't want, like she said, but you need to, you need to guard yourself um, and, and maintain um, who you are. And something is like something along those lines and probably more and more profound, but that's, that's what, what what I remember was just guard yourself and 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 remember who you are because one thing i mean noah and i uh moved around schools a lot our mom was you know as a teacher and when when even more when when gabrielle and i were little um we moved like so every two years almost i was in the longest i was in one school was three years like i was in high school i was in multiple and i always people used to ask me they're like oh you could recreate yourself and i said why bother I mean, I have been clear on who I am my entire life. Yeah. And my my girlfriend, like, she saw some family videos of like, and when I was five years old, she's like, you are exactly the same person. Um, but, but then for the very first time in my life, I started in, and this work, Noah and I, without question, knew that the work needed to continue. Um, and, and for the very first time in my life, I felt this pull um, and this potential to lose myself. And, and so that, that piece of it, um, and yet the work needed to continue. So that was like a very fine line. Like, how do we funnel this? We, we have, we have this over, like the dam is exploded. We have water rushing through and how do we not flood the village? Like we're, we're, mm. like we can channel it. Like we need to, we need to funnel this. And so this was a, for me, it was a tremendous amount of, uh, of energy, um, to, to, and then Noah and I discovering how to work together, all of that. And meanwhile, this work um, mm-hmm. that needed to continue. And so what was interesting about the business is it was being recreated by our dad around the time of his death. It had been transitioning and he was in a redevelopment stage. He was restructuring how things were done. And so it's not like we inherited um, this wildly thriving business financially, at least. I mean... I like to say incredibly rich in content and reputation. Um, and it was very poor in the bank. And mm-hmm. so we needed to not only um, process this wild loss, but at the same time, 
really quickly get a crash course in business and figure out how to turn this business around. Um, and it took years. I mean, really, it's been in the last couple of years that things have really started to take off because we went to business school, essentially. Yeah. Um, and we also had to figure out what we were going to do because memorializing the business as his business wouldn't work. Um, what we had to do was use that as the launch pad and use the material um, for our own business. So maintain the rich history of the business and in, in, infuse it with our own energy. Um, and so that's been a really fascinating process, really challenging. And it's nice in the last couple of years to really step back and say, wow, okay, we're creating something. It's gaining momentum and it's working. Yeah. Um, so I think we're succeeding in those, in those goals, which is really nice, but it, it's such a, it's such a wholesome business at the core and um, it's, it's sprouts and we, we, provide supplies and kits so people can grow their own vegetables. Yeah. And, and it's what's so I wonderful think, about and that. Inspiration. I think and almost, inspiration. Yeah. Almost as important as yeah. the supplies. People are, are so illuminated. Uh, All you need is to, like to grow a sprout. It needs water. You need a good seed and you need water. And that's yeah. really it. There's like the inspiration is so, mm -hmm. uh, it blew my mind. We, we, we were at a show. Sorry. To, I know I cut okay. you off, but like, okay. We, uh, we've gotten better at that. We used to kick each other. <laughs> but the, 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 one of the early shows that we did, I sold, um, uh, I remember talking to this, uh, this woman, it was a New York city show. Um, and, and she bought a sprouting kit and a year later, and I remember the conversation and like a year later I was at the same show and she came up to me and I was like, Oh, hi, how's it going? How are you? And she said, I have problems with my sprouting kit. And I said, what's, what's wrong? What's like, let me, let me, let me troubleshoot. What's, yeah. what's going on? She goes, well, I brought it home. I put it in the cabinet and I never opened the box. <laughs> 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 like she said, it just felt so, it was, it felt so easy when you were talking to me about it. And then I got home and I just got so overwhelmed and intimidated. And oh, like, that's God. hilarious. So yeah. it's like, all right, three day show that you got your, here's day one, go home, start it tonight and check back tomorrow. But like, come back tomorrow and yeah. tell me how you did. And like, it was this, it was this hysterical. And, and that was the, that was the beginning of noticing that I was like, oh yeah, that, and that's what our dad did so mm. well. Mm, the nurturance. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's an interesting kind of line of work. You know, I'm, I'm a chef and it's, it's a similar thing. Bobby's a therapist and there is something, um, that's so interesting, fascinating to me about what you guys do, because it's like, it's caring for people in the specific way. It's wanting to set them up with a new, like mini skill set. You know, it's not like this huge undertaking, but to be able to, you know, provide themselves with real, like nutrition and also something that can prove, you know, there is something about growing your own food that kind of yeah. proves like, you know, you're kind of just saying, Ari, that proves that you can, you can do something you might have not thought about before. And, you know, seeing something grow from a seed to something that you can ingest and that is good for you, it's empowering. And it's, it's an interesting thing to dedicate your life's work to. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really, it's care, it's caring for people and it's very personal, really, you know, very do you feel, personal. you guys feel that way about it? It is. It is. Is that Sorry. how, you, do you guys feel that yeah, way yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah. As though like, it's a personal yeah. kind of a thing, like a personal connection yeah. to people and a, a nurturing. And thing. what I really love about it too, is that, um, it's just, you take something from nothing from like a hard rock of a seed and turn it into life and it's life in a week. And that had a very particularly therapeutic element um, throughout the early stage of grief was, um, you know, from death was so much life mm. in a way, a, a really exactly. beautiful image and continues to be really. Yeah. I mean, the, the circle of life and how, you know, it's really a circle. I remember hearing Thich Nahan speak once about the circle of life. And he talked, he, he did this demonstration on stage and he took a piece of paper in front of you know, several hundred people. He burnt the paper and you watched it, the flames, and then you watched the smoke and then you watched mm -hmm. the ash. 
and he said this is this represents nothing ever mm-hmm. really ends right you know because the smoke went into the atmosphere and the ash went into mm-hmm. the ground and that's the circle so your business so represents that the, you know the circle of life and the continuation and the um of your father's vision and how it just yeah. keeps growing yeah absolutely I, it's amazing I, I, how we we all kind of try to do that in different ways when we've had strong relationships with people that we love, particularly parents though. I feel like as someone who also lost a parent, uh, and I try to continue, you know, my dad had one time had been a chef and Bobby and him had owned a business together. And, you know, I just recently did a pop-up that was named after their business. And I feel compelled. So that like thing in you that wants to keep them alive through kind of continuing like their dream and what felt, important to them and then in there you kind of think about your own dream and and it's this interesting part of like well is this what is my motivation here and is it you know continuing to keep them alive and is that good and is that bad you know like do you guys have thoughts about about that for yourselves of like are you living in your authenticity is this something that you're doing to keep the memory you know what I mean like where is that intersection for you well for what I always wanted to have my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so this business provided such a beautiful opportunity to have that, but also be really do, do good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that was that from that perspective, it was an excellent platform because it checked off those two goals, have a business. And um, yeah, I always wanted to do good, of course. And so, and to have an impact, and I think this is very, mm-hmm um, impactful. So, um, yeah, for, for me, it, it completely satiates those yeah. elements. I think also for the, the difference between the two of us and taking that over, like I, I had sort of formed an opinion of what I wanted my life to look like, like the, the goal I was working towards. And, and Noah had like, it was in that 16 year, like you always, you know, that it's like a little bit further down the road. Mm-hmm. So sure, he got sure. to make like out of, uh, you know, out of what happened, he got to create what he wanted, um, and sort of, and I had to sort of recreate my vision of myself that's inside very, of. That's challenging. Here. What was your original vision for your life at that point? It it, it it's becoming. I, I feel like it's it's becoming more aligned with where we are now, and and definitely where we're going. I think we're 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 getting there. But I definitely was like a. I, I took a a circular um, road to get back to sort of where I saw um, myself. I, I had been living in Berlin the year before in Germany I, I, um, and I was roasting coffee and I, uh, it was very different. But my, my whole thing as well was that we came from a family, another thing our uncle, the same one who pointed out the gutters mentioned <laughs> to us, he, he said, you know, about a month after Noah and I were having coffee with him and he said, he said, you guys are the last Marowitzes to be self-employed. Now every one of us is, is unemployable or something like that. Like we're <laughs> line of, of sort of, and I don't know if we're unemployed, like I don't, but yeah. Like we come from a line of, of, of artists and entrepreneurs. And so like, there was always this idea growing up that, that, um, that we could do anything in a way. It's like, if you, if you're pa- if you, if you can draw yeah. in the crowd and, and create this. And so, um, I was, I left Berlin cause I didn't, I, I hit a wall where I didn't have a visa and I needed to leave and mm. I, um, needed, and so I was, I was going to start, I, I was sort of running, it was a hobby roasting company. This other, this guy had started and then he had these two little kids and it was, and he told me one day we were, I was hanging out cause the coffee smelled amazing. And he's like, look, I, I either need to shut it down or find someone to run it for me because I can't, this hobby is taking up too much time right now. And, <laughs> So I, that's how I ended up running a roasting company, but it was, cool. you know, I had full control within that other than it wasn't my company. And that was sort of the second or the third time that that had happened where I was growing someone else's business. And so I moved mm. back really to start my own business. And, but within that, I wanted to find the, the, I mean, I, I love learning language. I love travel and like, I needed to be able to have uh, our connecting with people. Yeah, to connect, right. connecting yeah. with people. Like the right. thing that, that that I liked most about coffee was that this this like you want to meet someone, you ask them to you know like, meet me at a cafe or something. Meet me at a like all around the world, people meet for coffee, and that's where they meet. Yeah. And it's like you want to discuss art, you want to discuss music, you want to discuss business, you want everything, you want to have a date, like everything. Yeah. It's always 
oh, he's over coffee. And, and so, and then there's, you follow it up the food chain, there's, there's farmers and there's people all around the world, like the impact. And, but that can be with anything. And so this, this like Noah, it checked all the right boxes. I mean, for me, I just wanted to have a positive impact. I liked creating that environment. And, um, but I felt a little removed from our, our, our people and our, our, our dad did as well. I think we, we talked about that a lot was that the way the business was going when he wasn't traveling and, and, and lecturing, he used to, it started with him holding classes in his apartment and really connect, right. like the people, people, if people like who kind of rule off of people, um, yeah. we, uh, um, it, it's becoming more and more, uh, internet based and, and sort of cr creating, how do you create that same sense of community? And I, and I, I feel like we're accomplishing that now we have a, an engaged community somehow and like either through the social platforms or emails or like or, or trips but it's 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 the business is recreating in a way that like we're having the impact if we're doing well it means people are sprouting and if we're if they're sprouting then the farms are being you know yeah the, the the positive impacts are uh go from like personal health all the way to farm and to environmental but it's just yeah it's really cool so go ahead Bobby. Do, do, do you have a way of having personal contact with people now? In other words, is there a is there a shop that people come into, or is it is no, it all a internet-based internet But the the we've been implementing some different ways that we do have more communication with people. We have a couple different email series that go out, and one of them is um, more personal, and people often respond, and there's dialogue, and then. Ari runs our social media and he really enjoys that. So, oh, um, and, and before the pandemic, we used to go to expos and, and yeah. events, but. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll get back into that again soon. Things are yeah. beginning to change. But you're both yeah. so warm and, uh, you know, lovely, lovely people. So it's not, the thought of you having contact with people yeah. is, is important. You're, you're both great I'm curious. Really so, are. you know, I thought this after my dad died and I know other folks I've talked to have this feeling about when they lose loved ones, but I had this big question and I still do actually sometimes. And I'm like, where are you? You know, I'm like, are you still dead? I can't believe you're still dead. Like where, where are you? And I answer it for myself sometimes about where I think my dad is. Where, where is your dad for you guys? Like, well, I mean, I had a lot of dreams of waking up and like, oh, you're back now. That's great. Mm -hmm. Let me show you all these things. And I still have those. And then I, I also have, um, I still feel very close to him. And um, I often hear him. And um, so, yeah, where he is, I don't know. He he's, <laughs> It feels so cheesy to say, but he, he feels very close. Mm. <laughs> it's um, not cheesy. He really mm. does. Um, but he's also very busy. I recognize that. <laughs> Not always available. <laughs> Can't always reach him, but the work continues. No, the, the, I think I also had very intense dreams. I think my dreams, there was there was one very vivid one that kept happening when things were kind of, we were in this transition point. And, and it was, it was, it, he would sort of, he would, he would, he was here. And then I, I had this, this immediate impulse. I'm like, oh my God how do we, everyone thinks you're dead. Like the paperwork, this is going to be a nightmare. And it's like, how, he's like, don't worry about it. It's yeah. fine. I'm like, <laughs> but there was this, so that dream was, there was, uh, it was kind of, but it was really nice to see him in those dreams. But I did this thing for the first um, six months. I, I was, um, the, I hiked up to watch the sunrise on a local, on a little mountain. It's like this 20 minute hike. Um, and it's got a 360 degree view. And I watched the sunrise um, every morning, you know, either if you could see it or not for six months. And I figured and that for me, like in the turmoil, I didn't know what else to do. I'll just keep waking up and, and, and hiking. And so that routine, that was like the one step in front of one foot in front of the other piece. And, and I started, so I'd, I'd wake up way too early every day. Um, and then I'm, I'm also going through this sort of sprout school that I put myself through to, to live the, the work. And so you have this, if you're talking about energetic food, you have living food. It's like um, there's a whole lot of spirituality in, in eating living foods and sort of this, you become this very reactive antenna. Um, and, and one morning I was hiking down and I heard him 
as clear as day, right behind me, as if he was walking behind me, yelling, ankle support. Like he used to say this all the time. He hated that I would hike in like sandals. And he's like, you start. <laughs> so but I, I went great. home. It was like two weeks after after he died and like three weeks after maybe. And I went home. I was like, well, I, said, I, I remember I turned around and was like, well, this is really unfair. How, how am I supposed to argue with you? I, I don't know if you hear. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's beautiful. That actually reminds me of, it was a Woody Allen movie, New York Stories. And there was one of the scenes where Woody Allen, I don't know if you all remember it, but every time he walks out of his New York City apartment, his mother is hovering in the sky yeah. like a cloud. Telling him to it's put a, his coat that's on. A, that's a, <laughs> You're gonna be getting cold. That's a very cold. interesting one. It's like a it's a triptych, right, of different mm-hmm. short films. By one Scorsese, one is uh, uh, Coppola, and one is Woody Allen. But yeah, that one is very interesting. Um, so we ask everyone the same question at the end, as we near the end of an episode, which is if you could have. You know, having gone through your experience and uh, having had a chance to process a bit over the past uh, couple of years, what advice would you give your younger self at the beginning of this experience, someone who's a novice to, you know, trauma and grief and knowing what you know now? Very easy for me is to slow down. Mm. Um, Even I, I said that I would take things one foot in front of the other and I did. But even within that, they were very fast steps. Um, and it's a constant reminder. And I actually, I mean, talk about like hearing our dad say things. Multiple times, I just heard his voice saying, slow down, slow, you know, because um, everything is more manageable when it's done slowly. Um, and uh, so, this was no exception yeah it slowed down for me and just also to be more compassionate toward myself um because you know what i went through with this loss and what i continue to go through um it's a big deal and i would often poo poo that to myself and then that was not there um and so it's a that's a constant challenge is to be more compassionate to myself and to slow down yeah, that's beautiful. What about you, Ari? Mm. Um, that's a tougher one for me. That's good. No, I, you, uh, that, was, that was a very good answer. I, I mean, I, I think to, I would tell myself to trust, trust my instincts. I, um, yeah, it's it all feels impossible, but uh, just I, I, I think my, ultimately, um, yeah, reflecting back, it was it was. I think I did what I needed to do and continue to do. So I like just trust and like, and there are so many moments of, of, of just complete bewilderment and, and feeling completely lost. And I think, yeah, just trust. Yeah. That's a, that's a, I, both of those are such beautiful answers and yeah, trusting your instincts is, it's just like, it's kind of like a, you know, the hero's journey. We talked about this with your mom uh, like the, you know, the basic story circle of how any good story or screenplay or anything is written is like the hero's journey and all of these different kind of, it's almost like, you know, a, a Greek myth, like going through grief. When you look back at your own grief, like, you know, you think back to the chapter where you were in the murky pond and a weird, you know, sea monster came up and came at you and all these things you wouldn't expect to happen. And these like big emotions and things that you think back, like, oh, that was also me. You know, that was a version of me in this time of grief and, I think it brings up these like really kind of extreme feelings and parts of our personality we maybe didn't know existed. And I always think of it as, as a really, you know, intense kind of um, cinematic journey uh, going through the grieving experience. And I think one that probably never ends, but I think trusting your instincts just kind of resonated because there is no real roadmap. You know, we, we talk about this a lot on the show mm-hmm. and we want to like normalize the grieving experiences. And we also ask people these questions, like what could have been the advice knowing what you knew now, but like, you know, so that people understand that the grieving process is so much about like 
monitoring new feelings and experiences that come up and kind of trusting where you're at and honoring where you're at. And Noah, to your point earlier of saying things, uh, people saying things to, you know, like stay strong and stuff like that. And, you know, just kind of realizing that, uh, when you're actually in it, you don't need to stay strong, right? That's a, that's a chapter. That's a a part of the journey. And it's just, I don't know. It's interesting. I have one other piece to add to that. You know, I always um, thought of the concept of from fear to faith, trusting the process and trusting yourself as well, because, and it's back and forth. It's not just a linear process from fear to faith. It's back and forth every day, every minute moments of fear. And when I speak of faith, I don't speak of religious faith. You know, I believe in, you know, just, Trusting yeah. the process too, so it's trusting yourself and trusting yeah. the yeah, process. How everything changes. I totally changes. agree with that. And I, when I've spoken with people since our loss, after their losses, and I think about, you know, what what to say. Um, one of the things is that I just hope they allow themselves to feel what they need to feel and experience all that they can as they can, and it's okay to just feel that way because it's really that yeah allowing yourself to manage and to feel what you can feel is the most critical thing i think and just being okay with that yeah so, so much, much there's a lot to learn at the bottom of the <laughs> like, like i i always say there's so much to see when you're down at the deepest depths of your despair it's like being at the bottom mm-hmm. of the ocean and like you know we've we've all seen those like kind of nature shows where you're exploring like the depths of the sea and there's like these weird neon day glow kind of things there's weird shit down there you know yeah. so like yeah. you're down there stay <laughs> down for a minute and and look at all the things that are dead you don't need to immediately try to resurface you know take a look at what what is down at the kind of times in life that are precious in a weird way that you would never wish for yourself or anyone else, Mm -hmm. but they're precious. And like what you have to learn is it's Mm -hmm. unique, you know, and it does help you in the future and it helps you help other people, which I think is extremely valuable. I'm sorry, Bobby, you were saying something. No, no, that's it. No, we're all on the same page. There's a lot to learn in grief and it's it's kind of cool. So one of the things we like to do at the end of um, each of our processing sessions is to imagine that we could all sit down for a meal together. Um, It's been such a pleasure to spend time with you this morning, and it would be nice if we could just move into another room and sit down together at a big table and all bring something. So I wonder, what would we all all bring to our feast? (laughs) Who goes first? (laughs) You can go first. Go ahead, Noah. What would you bring? Well, I made a really, like, wholesome like zesty pasta dish last night with kale and um, oyster mushrooms, which I had some chipotle pepper in and um, fresh tomato. And then I grated feta cheese, which I started doing this week. And it's like such a wonderful texture and it's like salty. And it's good. Springy and also comforting. Yeah. Love it. Ari, what about you? Sounds good. You know, uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna bring a salad. Amazing! Gonna, we need a salad. Where we spend some time talking about sprouts, and I always feel like it's like you can talk about vegetables, but like let me just make a dish about them. So I'm gonna make a sprout salad. I'm make like this. I have this like it's a miso tahini. It's just miso tahini water and a little bit of garlic as blended up as the dressing, um, and then put in a whole medley of sprouts together and toss them and toss them with this, maybe some tomatoes. And like, it is, it's one of my favorite things. Just, you just feel good. At it. And it. Very good so that, that pasta would be very good. with this. I feel like those things really complement each other. Yeah. Bobby, what are you going to bring? Well, mine is a little different, but I was thinking about sprouts and I remember sprouting um, mm. chickpeas and I would like to make some Ooh, falafel. Yum. I would like to make some really good falafel. And when I make falafel, I take the chickpeas, but then I also um, chop up spinach and parsley and dill and cilantro and all those just tons of green stuff and lettuce, actually, really fine shaped. And that's how I make my falafel. And then we'll use tahini again. We'll make a really lovely tahini sauce. Um, So that's what I'd like to make. And maybe some hummus with it. delicious. I'm going to also do something with sprouts. I'm going to bring a sprouted rye bread, like that that kind of like... 
um, using like rye berries and you like mm. sprout the rye berries. You make kind of that thick, like Danish dense bread and some really delicious grass fed butter and spr- like a heavy sprinkle of crunchy sea salt. Ah, all right. So yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, we've got a good thing <laughs> yeah. going here. All right. So we'll yeah. take like two and a half hours to get to Great Barrington. We'll see you soon. Give us time to prep. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, this was really nice. It was really lovely. Actually, w- yeah. And we should add, um, we told this to your mom too, and to Danielle, that Zara and I have been going to Great Barrington for many, many years. We um, go to a place, we used to go to a place mm-hmm. in Lake Buell. And so when we come up next, can we have that feast? We'd love to yeah. spend time yeah, with yeah. you in live. Really fun. Cool. Well, thank yeah. you guys so much and enjoy the rest Thanks. of this weekend. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having Thanks, us. Thanks, guys. So This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at Processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.